Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to Metaphysical Milkshake, the show where we go deep, we get weird, and we search for the meaning of life along the way. Presented by Cast Media and Soul Pancake. Hey there, everybody. Welcome to Metaphysical Milkshake. I'm Rain Wilson. And I'm Reza Aslan. Hi, Rain. How you doing? Uh, you know, I'm doing okay. I'm doing all right. I'm hanging in there. That's good. But I have something on my mind that I wanted to talk to you about. Hit me. I was thinking about growing up in the 70s and 80s. Like, what did we really deal with? What were the pressures on us as children in that generation? Well, I'm much younger than you, obviously. Okay. So I don't re- really remember goes. the 70s. Here we go. Um, yeah. But I do remember, I remember the 80s. I remember like in elementary school um, being like legitimately stressed out about nuclear war because it would, it would come up all the time at school. Like, remember, they would be like, hey, it's Friday. We're going to practice for, for nuclear fallout. Everybody under your desk. Do you remember that movie with like Hal Holbrook about like, the end of the world. and I do remember that. The nuclear threat and nuclear winter and stuff. That was pretty scary. That it was, was pretty daunting. I remember thinking about it all the time. Yeah, that yeah. was a big stress. Yeah. In the 70s, we had some long gas lines. Um, there was the Iranian hostage crisis, something you know a little bit about. Why do you have to bring that up all the fucking time? All right, I'm sorry. <laughs> I am sorry. And, you know, for you 80s kids, there, were the lat- there was the latchkey kid syndrome, you know, just being... Uh, boo-hoo, we had a key around our neck and we went in and our parents were at work and we just watched cartoons and ate Fruit Loops. It was great. And like, oh, that was so traumatic. I loved that. <laughs> what did you watch? It was more like Cocoa Pebbles and Bugs Bunny for me. But okay. Yeah. And Fruit Loops, HR, Puff and stuff. That explains so much. So you've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. Temple University is ranked among the top 50 public universities in the U.S. Through hands-on learning opportunities and world-class faculty, Temple students are prepared to soar in their careers. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu slash visit. We had our trauma uh, during that time, but 
man, it's nothing compared to kids these days. No, dude, nothing. It's not even in the same ballpark. I mean, I look at these these kids today and the things that they deal with. These kids today with their school <laughs> shootings and their global pandemics. Yeah, there's yeah global pandemics. You can die going to school. And by the way, if you manage to survive either death at school or a global pandemic, you're gonna die because the planet's dying anyway. Like, I, I, man, I'm just so glad I'm not a child right now. I really am so, so glad. Plus all the race stuff that is, it's good, it's coming to light, but man, it's traumatizing too. And um, and especially these children who come from diverse and more marginalized communities. I mean, oh yeah, they have it so much, so much worse. Oh, so much worse. I, I just think about... I know that you hate it when I talk about politics. I'm not going to talk about politics, but I will say that I remember thinking a lot about the way that my boys were dealing with, you know, the the Trump years and this notion mm. that kind of, you know, they would say it in in, in the most matter-of-fact way, <laughs> like in the most matter-of-fact way, they would talk about how, um, you know, uh, the president of the United States thinks of, you know, them as an enemy, <laughs> like, and you know that their that right. their very that their very existence is thought of as a threat to like large swaths of this country and just the matter of factness with the way that they would talk about it would start to freak me out like what what is this doing to their brains what is this doing to their mental health like that this yeah. is the world that they live in absolutely i remember my teenage son asking me about uh wait why are there children in cages at the border like, ooh, that's a tough one to explain to a to yeah. a to a twelve year old, thirteen year old. Yeah, I mean, are the kids all right? That's the question for the pod today. Are the kids all right? Spoiler alert: No, no, they're not. They're not all right. Actually, no, <laughs> they're not okay. Um, but these are some very real concerns, and it's good. It's a good thing, Reza. We've got the brilliant Dr. Alfie Breland Noble here with us today to help answer this incredibly concerning question. Yeah. Is nope. there just too much it's out there? Is there just too much shit going on in the world right now? And is it traumatizing them in some kind of, you know, deeply personal way that we're all yeah. going to pay the price for? you know, in the, in the next few years. Uh, Dr. Alfie, uh, fortunately, is an internationally recognized scientist, author, and media contributor. She's the founder of the ACOMA Project. That's a nonprofit organization um, that specializes in the mental health of young people. She's a very sought-after mental health expert, is currently hosting season two of her video podcast, Couched in Color with Dr. Alfie. Yep, she's uh, regularly appears on CNN. I've heard of that network. NBC. Uh, NPR. She works, you know, regularly with uh, Duke University in Georgetown, and she's the author of a book. It's called Community Mental Health Engagement with Racially Diverse Populations. We're gonna have to give her some advice on how to title a book. <laughs> that maybe, is a, maybe that's a little wordy. But welcome to the show, Dr. Alfie. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. You have no idea. We're super excited to have you. And I understand you're a little bit of an Office fan, too. Oh, see, like, I was trying not to go there. <sighs> Jesus Christ. I was man. trying, like, we, I was literally, I was trying to be good because you have a huge career. Do we have to do this with every guest? Do we have to begin by <laughs> forcing them to, to like, talk about the Office? Dwight Schrute. I get to say Jeez. Dwight Schrute. You get to as many times as you like. Listen. 
Listen, Reza, we don't do this every time. It just happens that our guest, uh, one uh-huh. of the top mental health specialists in the country, uh-huh. happens to be a huge office Dwight Schrute slash Rain Wilson fan. And that, sh- that must be acknowledged. Come on. She wrote her dissertation on you, didn't she? Isn't that? No. <laughs> Someone someday will write a dissertation on mental health in the office workplace of Dunder Mifflin. Ooh. Oh my, yes. All the characters, I'm going to diagnose each one of them. That's a good idea. That's a book. <laughs> That's a book. Actually, that is a book. That would sell a lot of copies, honestly, with all the office fans out there. Anyhow, we dig into mental illness a lot on this show. It's a cause that I'm extremely passionate about. It's something I know something about because I have suffered from it in various facets, which we've certainly discussed. But let's set the stage for what we're going to be talking about today. So 50% of all lifetime mental illnesses develop by age 14. 75% develop by age 24. Suicide is a second leading cause of death among people aged 10 to 34 in the United States. That's insane. That's just, I mean, what? What? Staggering. Staggering. It makes you want to cry. It makes me want to cry. It's so sad that people don't feel like they have any other way out. It's just oh. it's sad. It It is. It is. The overall suicide rate in the United States has increased by 35% since 1999. That is... You know, yeah, I'm I'm an old geezer, but that's not that long. That's when I moved to LA, 1999. Like it's gone up by over a third in that amount of time. Yep. And in September of 2020, over half of 11 to 17 year olds reported having thoughts of suicide or self harm. And uh, and then we have the fact that people are not getting the help they need. 60% of youth with major depression did not receive any mental health treatment. And this is in 2017, 2018. Even in states with the greatest access, 38% not receiving the mental health Mm -hmm. services that they need. And among youth with severe depression, only a quarter of them are receiving consistent treatment. The list goes on and on. There's so many more statistics I could rattle off. I'm sure you're familiar with all of these, Dr. Alfie. But you are on the front lines, literally on the front lines, dealing with kids, working with kids, especially kids of color. Um, So tell us. Give us your assessment. What the hell is happening? What is happening to our kids? Are the kids all right? No. The, clearly yeah, the answer no. is no. The kids are not all right. That's right, Reza. They're they're not all right. I, it's a lot of things. I think at it, it, this point in time, you have this awful, perfect storm of COVID-19, kids being stuck in the house. Like, you just think about we all of the awful shootings we've seen in the last couple of weeks. Um, it, mm. It's just... It's just a lot. And so you almost can't look away. Um, so that's a big part of it, I think, is that you have these rising rates in part in the last year because people couldn't look away. You are stuck in the house. People are like sort of fixated on their devices, whatever those devices are. And they're just not in a place where they can turn away from these awful things that we're seeing. That's a part of it. But that's new. When you think more long term, going back to, like you said, 99, 99 was a big that was the year of my big birthday. You turned 18? Yeah, right. Um, So just thinking about going back that far, I think about how few of our young people are prepared and given coping skills, right? Mm. And so they don't have the coping skills to help them manage. Many don't have the coping skills to help them manage all of the deluge of things that that are coming at them. On top of that, you have all this new access to information, 
So you have this thing where these young people have a lot of new information. They are bombarded with a lot of new ideas and, I don't know, just information coming at them. But what they don't have is a way to process the new information that's coming their way. You said so many interesting things there. But the thing that like caught my attention was that obviously like so much of, you know, the situation that young people are are dealing with when it comes to mental health right now has to do with the world that they're, they're living in. I mean, look around you. We're dealing with, you know, total climate collapse. We're dealing with racial violence on the streets. We're dealing with a global pandemic and everything that's involved with that. But, you know, earlier on, Rain and I were talking about the fact that when we were kids, you know, there was a lot of social trauma. I mean, for me in the 80s growing up, for Rain yes. in the 40s growing up. Hey. Um, <laughs> no, 50s, 50s, my mistake. Like, I I clearly remember, I was just talking about this. I clearly remember, like, the duck and cover drills for, you know, in case of nuclear annihilation. Yep. So didn't we have a lot of crazy things that we were dealing with too? Uh, you know, I mean, is it, worse now? And we would have totally survived, by the way. Nuclear bomb <laughs> under the school like desk. Oh, absolutely. We would have been fine. Well, why we else, would have been fine. Why else would we have practiced getting under the school desk if it wasn't going to save us from nuclear annihilation? Well, there you go. Duh. Wait, hold on, hold on. Are you saying our teachers were not telling the truth? But you hear what I'm saying, right? It's like, I don't, I don't want to do. in any way diminish the fact that the world is fucked right now, but it seemed fairly fucked in the 80s. It was, but you got to think that it was it was a little different for us because we were encouraged to cope with more things at an earlier age, number one. This is my opinion. Number two, which is the only thing that matters. Anyway, number two, <laughs> it is, you know, we didn't have, we weren't bombarded. We didn't have 24-hour cable news mm. in the 80s. Mm. Not that I recall, no. So mm-hmm. you, had, you had 30 minutes in the afternoon at 6 o'clock. You had 30 minutes at 11 o'clock. And that was it. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm. So like this stuff where you are, it's just constantly coming at you. We didn't necessarily, now let's think about context. In the United States, let's talk about how often we talked about what was happening in other parts of the world. We didn't talk about that stuff unless it was something like ginormous that had, that was tangentially related to the United States. But if it wasn't, we didn't talk about that. So, or you were studying something from history. I think what's a little bit different now is kids, They're seeing everything happening in real time, right? Like when my kids were little, my kids are 16 and 14 and huge office fans, by the way. I just had to say. (laughs) Oh, Jesus. Of course. Right. They got me into it. (laughs) You know, my kids would often bring things to me. I remember, you know, it's not the only time. There was a huge Syrian conflict. And y'all remember that picture of the little boy who's just sitting and crying? The first person who brought that to my attention was my daughter. And she was a little kid. She was an elementary school kid. Wow. And she had a device and she saw it on the device. And she was like, Whoa! and she was boohoo and crying. Right. We we didn't grow up like that. So I think there were things, but I don't think we had anywhere near the volume that our young people deal with now. And we also had to figure out a lot more stuff on our own at an earlier age. Right. So we were the one, the generation that sticks and stones may break my bones. And like you didn't go tell when somebody was bullying you. You just sort of dealt with it. We don't ask kids to do things like that now. And, you know, some of that's good. But it's just, they're just different circumstances for us than there are for these kids right now. So to put words in your mouth, essentially what (laughs) you seem to be saying is it's not that the world is so much worse now than it was sort of when we were kids, although maybe it is. Uh, 
It's that it's unavoidable. It's that the shit is unavoidable. It's in your face. When we were kids, you could choose to ignore it. (laughs) There you go. You could get under the desk, right? You could get under the desk and everything was fine. (laughs) But now there is no desk to torture the metaphor, right? Now it's like Mm -mm. there's no way that you can avoid um, the images of racial violence on the street. Was there racial violence in the 60s and 70s and 80s? Yeah. But now it's unavoidable. It's in your face. It's everywhere. But isn't that kind of a good thing, though? Sorry to to jump in, Rez, but I was just in my lily-white, privileged bubble of suburban Seattle. I had no idea cops were doing this to Black people, you know, right and left, day and night. I just, my parents didn't do a very good job of educating me, but it wasn't on the news. There wasn't there wasn't a Twitter feed to look at um, to 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 find this out. So so this is this is good, right? We're we're being you know this white privilege bubbles being popped, but information overload and feeling like these problems are unsolvable and that and the and that the violence is it's got to be traumatic to just be experiencing this you know school shootings and um and police brutality and uh other kind of abject racism um yeah. how do how do we find the balance between the good and bad of this i mean i think for me what i'm learning and what i've learned to do over the years is how to take things and understand that i can be in two places at once i can be a person who comes from a group that experiences marginalization, but I'm also a person with privilege, right? And so when I look at it like that, it helps me to not be stuck in all of the awful things that happen to Black people all the time. Because then I think about, well, what about all the awful things that are happening to Latinx kids, right? Kids in cages. Well, what about all the awful things happening to, it's not a race, but, you know, a religious group, like people who are Muslim. What about all the, you know, with Islamophobia? What about all the awful things that happened to recently Asian Americans and Asian people, Um, or Native American people. And so for me, not to mention these overarching uh, identities of like uh, whether or not you have a disability and or whether or not you're queer. So when I think about all of those, in a, I don't know if it's perverse or not, but in a weird way, it gives me comfort because I know I'm not alone, right? There's always someone else out there who is experiencing something, who's struggling, who has a history where their people or their cultural group um, have had these really awful things happen to them. So in that sense, I don't feel so alone. I feel seen and I feel like other people, I see other mm. people and they can see me in, in my pain. Um, so that helps me find balance. The other thing mm-hmm. is I have to actively practice things to help me find balance, meaning I'm an avid, I really believe in meditation. I just need to clear my head, right? And a different kinds of meditation. So I have to engage in practices that help me find balance. And then doing this kind of work helps me find balance because this is my purpose. I really do feel like this is my purpose on this planet is to support people and help them with their with their mental health and with emotional well-being. Um, and the final thing I have to add is I heard Jake Tapper say earlier today that it's not so much, this is to your point, Reza, it's not so much that there's more racism, sexism, homophobia, blah, blah, blah. I'm putting words in your mouth, Reza. Mm-hmm. It's that it's more visible. So it's not that there's more of it. It's just that there are more people out there with cameras and devices filming it so more of us can see it. It's on the news 24-7. So in that sense, again, I also am mindful that that society hasn't changed that much in terms of how we persecute people and who gets persecuted. Mm-hmm. What's changed is that more of the persecuted people have a voice. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, and that's the good side of devices. They can, you know, they can share yeah. with the world and express themselves. Yeah. Rain, I'm going to be a little bit uh, vulnerable here for a second. Um, okay. I'm, ha- I'm having um, some problems with uh, my weight. I just, I feel like this pandemic, I've just been, yeah. I haven't been exercising. I haven't been feeling good about myself. I haven't been eating well. Yeah. yeah. So what are you going to do about that? I'm going to try Noom. How convenient, because they're a sponsor of our show. Uh, how convenient, exactly. Noom uses a psychology-based approach to find a healthier balance that's uh, moldable to your life. And as a result, it becomes more sustainable. Folks, listen, you don't need rules to lose weight, just the knowledge and wisdom to help you build smarter, more sustainable habits. Noom's cognitive behavioral approach helps you unlearn bad habits and better understand your relationship with food. That's what it's all about. It's your relationship with food. That's it, right? One size does not fit all. Just choose your goals. Noom will personalize a weight loss program to you. 80% of Noom users finish the program. That's that's, a, that's impressive. That's a lot. Over yeah. 60% have stuck with their goals for at least a year. I don't need a year, just a few months. That's all you need. <laughs> with Noom, taking care of your health is empowering instead of stress-inducing. No need to fear ruining the whole program with a day off here or there. Noom will help you get back on track. All you need is a, a daily 10-minute check-in. How hard is that? I can do that. No grueling early mornings or huge chunks out of your day. So... Start building better habits for healthier long-term results. Sign up for your trial at noom.com slash milkshake. That's N-O-O-M dot com slash milkshake. You know, Rain, uh, remember when we were kids and we would wake up early in the morning, Saturday morning, grab a bowl of Cocoa Puffs? You make it sound like we lived in the same (laughs) cul-de-sac. And mom would be like, don't eat too many Cocoa Puffs. Cereal was like one of the best parts of being a kid, that and having Absolutely. no responsibilities. Yeah. I would plow through boxes of cereal. They weren't just like for breakfast. It was just any time of day. Were, I would say like between nine and 11, I mostly was made of cereal. <laughs> but of course I had to give it up because sure. obviously it's all full of sugar and junk and all that stuff that you shouldn't eat. But guess what? What? Now there's Magic Spoon. Magic Spoon has zero grams of sugar. Amazing. 13 to 14 grams of protein. Yes. And only about four net grams of carbs in each serving. That's so amazing. that's like 140 calories per serving. It's keto-friendly, gluten-free, grain-free, soy-free, low-carb. I don't know how they do this. GMO-free. So go to magicspoon.com slash milkshake to grab a variety pack and try it today. And be sure to use our promo code MILKSHAKE. Easy to remember. MILKSHAKE at checkout to save $5 off your order. And Magic Spoon is so confident in their product, it's backed with a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they'll refund your money, no questions asked. Remember, get your next delicious bowl of guilt-free cereal at magicspoon.com slash milkshake. Don't forget to use the code MILKSHAKE. MILKSHAKE. If you want to save $5, that's how you do it. Thank you, Magic Spoon. For sponsoring this episode. I think you're right. I think that uh, a large part of why it is that this generation is struggling with mental health in response to the trauma of, you know, the, the world that we live in has as much to do with the fact that it's un- that trauma is unavoidable and you can't ignore it because it's everywhere as it is with the fact that maybe it, the trauma is getting worse. There is one very unique factor, though, that we can't ignore when it comes to any conversation about the mental health, particularly of young people, and that is this fucking pandemic, you know, yeah. which, uh, yep. the I mean, 63% of 18 to 24-year-olds reported symptoms of anxiety and depression during the COVID lockdown. A quarter 
uh, reported increased um, substance abuse. Uh, a quarter reported um, a serious consideration of suicide. Um, you know, I mean, it's been kind of, uh, the, the, the quarantine's been a little bit annoying for me, but I've also got to hang out with my family and, and read and write, and that's been great. And, you know, Rain has a personal zoo that he has to upkeep. That takes up a lot of his... <laughs> His quarantine time. Uh, I'm going to put you in my personal zoo, Reza. <laughs> but, you know, I think about my nephew, who was always kind of struggling with, you know, social, um, uh, what, what's it called? Social anxiety. And, and you know, was a guy who kind of spent a lot of his life online and video game world anyway. And then he was told for 16 months not to leave his house. And so I... You know, I love I love him, and I'm and I, I I'm almost certain that he doesn't even know I have a podcast, and so isn't listening to this because it's not a video game. But he is. I mean, I am scared to death for him now. Like, I don't think he actually leaves his room anymore. I mean, his mental health is at the point where, uh, you know, I don't even I, I don't even know how to to make any kind of eye contact with him any longer. And he's, I think, one of hundreds of thousands of kids for whom COVID has taken what was already a problem. We've already talked about it. It was yes. already a yes. problem and yes. just, you know, threw them down a well. I don't know. Yeah. I don't even have a question. I, 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 that was it. What, what does COVID do to all of this? Yeah. Again, it comes back to this idea of at what point do we encourage our loved ones or sort of grab our loved ones and say to them, I want to support you and help you in this and being stuck in the house and like just sort of closing in on yourself is not helping you. Um, and I don't know how often, and I'm not speaking to either one of you specifically. I just, I hear a lot of people ask this question. I don't know to what extent a lot of us know that it's important for us to go do that for our loved ones. I mean, this is what I do. So I know it's important to try to find that balance. But for so many of us, it's just kind of like, well, they're quiet. They're fine. Leave them alone. You know, let them be there. And I think for people who are experiencing it, people who do have social anxiety, people who don't want to come out of the house, people who are agoraphobic, like all those kinds of folks, I think it is really this idea of how do we sort of reach in and grab them and try to pull them out in a way that's comfortable for them. So it's really not go grab them and say, come on, let's go have this party. Like we're going to be socially this. They don't want to do that. But how do we engage them in a way that supports them and helps them without overwhelming them? So I don't know, there's no real answer for it, but I do feel like it's an issue for a lot of people going back to that idea of loneliness. Some of it is us communicating with each other and teaching each other and helping each other learn how to be a little less lonely. And it takes effort. To me, that's the most important thing. We can't be passive and get through loneliness. We have to be active. But people have to know how to be active to help them with that loneliness and isolation. And sometimes when you're lonely and isolated and feeling anxious and depressed, being active in any capacity seems insurmountable. It, It really does. And in those instances where I ask people to start is I just ask them to think about where do you want to be, right? And even that's hard, having the energy, right? Because I know what it's like to go through depression. Um, and I'm a person who manages anxiety so that the anxiety doesn't manage me. So I try to be really open about that. Um, mm. But Brain, I, I think your point is well taken. I just wor- worry and get fearful about allowing our loved ones to be stuck there, right? Mm. To like, 
we like we want to, I don't know, even if all we're doing is just saying I'm here when you're ready. I know you don't feel like it today, but maybe tomorrow, maybe in an hour. I'm not going to bug you, but I just want you, I want to keep telling you that I am here. So when you have enough energy to reach out to me and just let me know, I don't know, if I can sit and listen to you or cry with you or whatever, I want you to know that I'm available, right? So that can be a text, that can be FaceTime, that can be just something to let the person know. Because to your point, when we feel that we don't have energy, it's hard to have a positive outlook on life. It's hard to see that there are people who care. And so we just keep turning inward. Mm -hmm. Mm. Um, And as long as you're hearing someone say regularly, periodically, I love you. I want to be here for you. You don't have to do anything with that information now. I just want you to hear it. I know in times when I've struggled, like my mom, she's deceased, but she would just say that. She would always say, well, Alfie, there's nothing you could do, baby, that would make me stop loving you. And I'm always going to be here. If you need to call me at 2 a.m., sweetheart, call me. It makes me emotional thinking about it. Oh, you know, I might not have wanted to call her. Yes, it would just, I just knew she was there. So mm. when I felt better, I could call her at 2 a.m. And often I did. Dr. Alfie, your area of expertise is mental health in youth of color. And this is yes. not a story you hear about very much. It's not in every episode of, uh, it's not in every issue of psychology today. But it's as not. bad as things are for youth in general uh, in this mental health epidemic during this yes. pandemic, it's way, way worse for youth in color. Can you speak to that? The disparities are more in who has access to mental health care and mm. what kind of care do they get when they go in. So you would think with the racial trauma and some of the other, you know, intersectional identity issues faced by kids of color, that they would have far worse rates of depression, anxiety, maybe even um, what we call trauma exposure related to depression and anxiety. Uh, But what you find in the epidemiological research, that's my one big word I'm using today, is that those aren't really where you see the the biggest differences, where you see it in terms of the prevalence, right? So what are the rates of depression among kids? Across the board, it's somewhere between like 8 and 12 percent. Now, it's way higher since the pandemic started. But when you look at anxiety, eh, 15 to 20, maybe 25 percent, depending on who you ask. Um, exposure to trauma, you do see difference in terms of who's exposed, but then who's diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder and those kinds of things. Again, you don't really see these, these huge differences. So the issue becomes understanding and unpacking that. Why is that the case? I would argue part of that's the case because we don't measure effectively. I don't know that we know exactly what depression looks like. And this is probably a little out there, but I don't know that we know exactly what depression looks like across all these groups of kids because kids are bringing different parts of themselves into the world and they're showing up in ways that we don't always know how to label correctly. So one quick example is you take two kids, you take a black kid, the kid can be black Latinx, they just present to the world as black. And you take one kid, they have the same symptoms. Um, sadness, irritability, um, fatigue, lethargy, um, crying all the time, that kind of thing. If you put both of those kids in front of a mental health professional, the same mental health professional, they're more likely to diagnose that black child with a disruptive behavior problem, right? Conduct disorder, Mm -hmm. oppositional defiant, like they don't listen. We used to call them bad kids back in the day, but you don't call kids bad. You call behavior (laughs) bad. Kids are not bad inherently. Um, and the white child will be diagnosed with a depressive disorder. Hmm. So it's what are people paying attention to? What they're paying attention to probably is the irritability in that black child, 
and the sadness in the white child, even though what they're presenting with is the same set of symptoms. Mm. So I think that's a part of it. So when you're treating, what are you treating? You're treating irritability in that black kid. You're treating sadness in the white child, but really you should be treating the sadness in both of them. So I think that's a part of it, how we measure. I don't think we really know because we don't measure well. And then one other thing I'll say is part of what drives these disparities is the personalized stigma, right? So how are people going to receive me if I show up with this thing called mental illness? And the best succinct story I can tell you about that is years ago when I was doing research, I used to be a psychiatry professor at Duke. And we were doing some some research down in Durham, North Carolina. And I had a mom say to me, I've never forgotten it. She had was recently like homeless. She had recently, uh, you know, begun reentry from being incarcerated. And she had, I don't know, four or five children she was rearing on her own. And she said, Dr. Alfie, look, I'm already black. I'm already a woman. I don't also need to be crazy. And that's sort of the, right? Uh, That's the idea. It's like I have these labels already that marginalize me. If you stick crazy, which I tell my kids, we never say that. If you stick a mental illness label on top of that, you are like Mm. really like sending me to the hinterlands. And I don't want to be out there. I want to be here with everybody else. So I think those are some of the things that drive these disparities. But it's a great question. So it's it's like, it's not so much that, you know, they have different brains or different mental health issues. And oftentimes it's not even so much that they are dealing with necessarily different traumas. It's that on the one hand, White kids are diagnosed differently than kids of color. So like in a white kid, what what comes across as depression comes across, you know, with a black kid as just being a bad kid, being, yeah, being you, you know, having trouble. Um, That's right. And then on the other side of it, too, is the people who are doing the, the diagnoses, right? I mean, we just discovered this like 4% of psychologists today are black. 4%. You're one of 4%. They don't pay me like I'm the 4%, but I'm the 4%. We just leave like that. <laughs> Look, I know a lot of you guys out there yeah. are carrying credit balances month after month. It, it can sometimes feel like you're ne- in this never-ending cycle of debt. Yes, that's right. So Upstart uh, can help you make that final payment so you get ahead. Upstart is a fast and easy way to pay off your debt with a personal loan all online. So whether it's paying off credit cards, consolidating high interest debt, some of these credit cards, I mean, the interest rates. That's like 25, 27%. It's, it's crazy. It's or whether you use it to fund personal expenses, over a half a million people have used Upstart to get one fixed monthly payment. Upstart knows you're more than just your credit score and is expanding access to affordable credit. That's right. And, you know, unlike other lenders, Upstart considers your income and current employment to find you a smarter rate for your loan. That's right. Mm-hmm. All it takes is a five-minute online rate check. You can see your rate up front for loans between $1,000 to $50,000. You can receive funds as fast as one business day after 50, accepting 000, your loan. $50,000? That's, what, what that's like couch change for you. Well, that's true. Find out how Upstart can lower your monthly payments today when you go to upstart.com slash milkshake. That's upstart.com slash milkshake. Don't forget to use our URL to let them know that we sent you milkshake. Milkshake, milkshake. Loan amounts will be determined based on your credit, income, and certain other information provided in your loan application. So go to upstart.com slash milkshake. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. 
that crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Here's the thing. Conversations like this always end with, Man, that's, man, this is really bad. It sucks. This is terrible. So tell us, Dr. Alfie, what can we do? And then you tell us, well, we should do this and we should do this and we should do this. And we say, yes, indeed. Thank you. We should increase social programs and we should decrease the stigma and we should get people and talking. there should be greater and, equity yeah. in the way that we yeah. deal with. And we need more education for how Which, of we course, diag- is all true. Yep. Yeah, it's all, all true, okay. of course, right. of course. Yeah, but this is how most conversations go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, let's do all that. I guess the larger issue here is that, you know, we're talking about, by the way, not just literally the future, because I believe, I don't know about you, Rain, but I believe the children are our future. Sing it. I believe the children are our future. Teach them well and let them. Oh, you can see, Wesley. I just threw up in my mouth. Thank you for that. (laughs) Uh, Back to talking about a very serious topic the mental health of our children, Rain. The future of our children. I believe the children are our future, is the lyric. Thank you, Whitney Houston. And by the way, you know, we're talking about children of color. They're literally our yes. future. I mean, we are right. we are rapidly increasing rapid there demographic changes in this country. So we're not talking about, you know, That's just right. white kids. We're talking very specifically children of color are literally the future. And what they're bringing to the future with them are these yes. profound mental health issues and traumas. That's right. So I guess my question isn't like, what do we do about it? My question yeah. is, is what the? What the fuck kind of civilization are we looking at here, you know, in the future that is going to be run by people who are dealing with these profound mental health issues in a way that we did not? So when we get to talking about the future, I always try to come back to because I meditate. I tell my patients all the time. I tell my best friends, my best girlfriends, there's like four of us who call the Pretty Rough Rider crew. That's my girls. Anyway, so what I say to them is... If you think too far ahead, it makes you worry because you don't know what's coming. If you think too far going backwards, it makes you worry because you want to fix stuff that maybe you got wrong. If you stay focused in the present, that's where you can maybe create change and action because you're right here in the moment. You're not thinking about this stuff that's coming that you can't control, that stuff that's behind that you can't change. So that helped gives me peace, but that wasn't a question. So the question is like, if you... Think about our young people and they are our future and what are they carrying with them into the future? I think we also have to think about what resources and skills and tools do they already have? And that's the part that gives me a little more hope because you would think when you particularly when you look at kids of color, you think about all the racial traumas or kids who are come from immigrant families who can be of any race. 
you know, the trauma of some of their families through immigration that's passed down, right, intergenerational trauma, or the kids themselves. I think about all these children coming, you know, from Central and South America by themselves and what they must have endured, you know, to get to the United States. I also think about the resilience that is inherent in people, right? And I, you know, we do talk about, I don't want to make it like Pollyannish. Oh, yeah, kids are resilient. They're going to be fine. I don't mean it in that way. But I do notice and see that there's so many young people who probably could be doing so much worse. And that's the thing that gives me hope. And so my my thinking is, if we can learn from young people what makes them tick, what makes them resilient, what helps them keep going, those are the things that I think we want to start to build up. But we're building it from a place where we're looking at what's helpful for everybody. Because the history of my field is we only look at one group of people, right? I say it's monochromatic. And we say, okay, that applies to everybody. But that's not true. So what we want to do is look at what are these great things that come from all these different groups, whether you're queer, whether you're Black or Latinx or Asian or Native, right? Whether you're Middle Eastern, one of my uh, former research assistants, she was one of the best I ever had. Her family's from Lebanon. There's so many things that I learned from her, right, about what it meant to grow up as Lebanese, both in Lebanon and in the States and many other places around the world that I feel like were just life lessons for me as a grown woman. So what can we learn from our young people of all backgrounds? And then how do we put all that stuff together so to feed it back to all of our kids so that they're coming into the future with a stronger sense of self, with better tools, and with better ability to care for their own mental health. On that line, something you said uh, reminded me of one of my favorite quotes, which is from Khalil Gibran, out of suffering have emerged the strongest souls. The most massive characters are seared with scars. And uh, that does give me hope that perhaps this generation that um, has and is undergoing tremendous suffering and is seared with scars are mm. going to be the most massive characters with the strongest souls. And they're the ones, kids, I hope you can eventually be all right and lead us out of this. So I, I have a personal question, Dr. Alfie, um, which is, what does it do to your mental health <laughs> to have to talk about this stuff all the time. Like, I mean, it's only been like 45 minutes and I'm depressed. <laughs> what, you know what I mean? Like what, Yeah. how do you handle this? All right, so I'm not saying this to flatter either one of you gentlemen, but I do want you to, so when I get to the end, I'm like, oh, she's just trying to be nice, right? The day started where I was, actually it was yesterday. I just, I just didn't feel right. I felt uneasy, I felt like off center and I wasn't sure what it was. And I was meditating and I went out. I like to do nature walks. I was out nature walking with my dog and it just, I felt myself getting more and more agitated and I just, I was struggling and it's all the way. And then it hit me at night before I went to bed when I stayed up too late trying to, you know, like, cause the anxiety, I'll tell you, if you don't know, if you're anxious, the anxiety gets really bad when everything gets quiet. So at night, everybody sleep. You, I'm up and I'm just like, uh, uh, uh. so I'm listening to podcasts I have no business listening to because it was making it worse. Um, but that was the night, the next morning today, I got up, I went out and I, I really sat and meditated and I like to sit by water, water, I'm a Pisces, water is my thing, um, and listen to the water. And then I noticed my spirit started to lift a little bit and then I, I encountered a couple people who were really nice and said hello and one stopped and talked about how cute the dog was, all that stuff. And I felt it starting to tick up. By the time I got to us 
recording now, I had three or four opportunities to have similar conversations about mental health in diverse populations, about all of us, right? Marginalized people, people with privilege, all of that. And it reminded me that this is my purpose on the planet. And so the flattering thing that I'm going to say is I get to end my day talking to Rain Wilson and Dr. Reza. Like, that's what gives me, it makes me want to cry because the fact that the two of you would pay attention to someone like me and what I do, given where I started my career when people didn't even want to have this conversation. One of you said earlier, like, this is not stuff we see in psychology today. People didn't even want to have this conversation with me when I started my career 20-something years ago. Um, So that's what gives me hope. It is knowing that there are people out there who care, like the two of you, with the huge platform that you have. And it is being honest with myself when it gets to be too heavy and and giving myself permission to stop, look around, think, and just remember that this is some heavy shit. And sometimes I just got to sit with the shit and let it be heavy until it lifts. So that's what I would say. Well, Dr. Alfie Brellen Noble, this has been so fascinating and exhilarating and a little bit anxiety making, but also uh, positive. Uh, and we can talk much longer, but unfortunately, it's time for the lightning round. Cue lightning sound effects. Uh, this is the time when we just ask you uh, a few of life's big questions and you just kind of give us the first uh, thing that comes to your mind. Dr. Alfie, when do you feel most connected with the universe? Sitting in front of a body of water. What is a book that changed your life? The Secret. Oh, interesting. What is something that no one or very few people know about you? One day I want to be a surf pro. I love that. (laughs) So we got to talk further about this. I would come cheer you on. What's one emotion that you wish you could control better? Anxiety. Well, that's not an emotion. If Hollywood was making a biopic about your life, what would it be called? And who would play you? Uh, first of all, Angela Bassett. Yep. Would play me. Oh my God, I'm obsessed with her too. Anyway, and it would be called Embrace, Encourage, Enlighten. The Alfie Breland Noble story. What was the happiest day of your life? Having both of my kids. So two days. Two days. Okay, but you're going to have to pick <laughs> one of them. So which kid do you like better? Uh, okay, okay. <laughs> uh, the day my husband proposed to me. Uh, what is one tip you can give parents that would, w- by the way, we are both parents, that would help with their children's happiness? Be honest with yourself about your emotions and communicate that effectively and appropriately to your kids. Wow. That's fantastic. Somebody write that down. I wasn't writing that down. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to write that I down. I guess I'll, I'll come back and listen to it. Yeah, when are you going to write your book, Dr. Alfie? I'm working on it. You wouldn't believe Tuesday's on my writing day. I'm working on it, I promise you. Oh, fantastic. (laughs) Name something that most people like, but that you can't stand. My answer is The Office. Hey. Uh, But (laughs) your, I mean, your answer. Oh, uh, 24-hour cable news. All my girlfriends (sighs) like it, and it drives me nuts. And finally, what is your life's big question? How do I maintain peace in the midst of chaos? Dr. Alfie Breland Noble, um, this was such an incredible privilege to have this conversation with you. I got so much out of it. Uh, thank you. I uh, I feel enlightened, ennobled, and what was it? Embrace, encourage, enlightened. I feel embraced, encouraged, and enlightened. 
So thank you so much for joining us on Metaphysical Milkshake. Thank you for having me. It's been an absolute honor and a pleasure. Wow, that was amazing. Uh, Sign me up. Uh, Get me a ticket. I'm first in line for Embrace, Enlighten, Encourage, the Dr. Alfie story. Incredible. Hard-hitting and depressing, um, angst-ridden discussion. But gosh, she, she provided so much hope. But this is all, again, about are the kids all right? Now, Reza, as the father of seven children, or was it 17? I can't remember. Some of this stuff had to have really landed for you as a dad. Um, you're practically raising an entire generation of humans. Yeah, that's the plan. But in all seriousness, did did what landed for you? What resonated? When she was talking about how the kids who seem to get through the sort of inevitable mental health trauma of childhood, right? That it's like, don't worry about trying to keep that from happening. Instead, figure out how to ameliorate it and to point it in the right direction. And when she was talking about how it's about having purpose, like having Mm. help your child find their purpose, it just made so much sense. Because like I, this we've talked about this before, like I knew what I wanted to do with my life. I I, I mean, I don't remember when I didn't know. Mm. Mm -hmm. I I don't remember a time in which I wanted to be anything else except the thing that I am today. (laughs) Um, And I think that that helped me a lot in a way that I look at my sisters. I'm going to bag on my sisters for a little bit um, who had the same experience that I did growing up, um, the same hardships, the same traumas, but who have had a far more difficult time of it, you know, Mm. as, as adults than I did. And I think Going back to what Dr. Alfie said, what was the difference between the two of us? I think the difference between the two of us is that, or the three of us, I have two sisters, sometimes I forget, um, is that I knew what my purpose was and that kind of kept me going. So it's like, that's some good advice, you know, for parents. Mm-hmm. It reminds me of this quote uh, that Oprah always tosses around. She says it's her favorite quote and I just love it too. It's Reverend Harold Thurman who says, don't ask what the world needs. Uh, find what makes you come alive and do that. Because what the world needs is people who have come alive. Yeah. Was there anything else besides find your purpose to your to your bevy of kids? Well, and the and the connection part, you know, I think mm-hmm. is is something. I'm I'm actually really curious. You know, we talked about how uh, the pandemic has done good and bad things, mostly bad, yeah. but some good things and. In my family, it's it's been really kind of wonderful. And I, in all honesty, I'm sort of dreading the idea that they're going to be going back to school full-time soon and, and there'll be like an eight-hour day, which I don't have access to them and, um, and that disconnection there. So I think I'm a little bit nervous about that. Mm. But the idea that maintaining that connection... Uh, is mm. so important to the mental health of young people, not just if you're a dad or a mom or whatever, but also just thinking about what can what can we do to foster positive mental health for this generation? It's maintaining their connectivity, right? And, and yeah. oh, and I loved it. I loved that she was like connectivity on their terms, mm. you know, instead mm-hmm. of on your terms. It's it's right. It's so obvious. What's comfortable it, for them. Exactly. Yeah. What's, yeah, yeah. what's positive for them. Yeah, the yeah. thing that 
that really struck home for me too, and I and I've done a little bit of, but I, I need to do more of as a dad is share my failures, share my struggles, share my mental health issues. Mm-hmm. You know, if I'm struggling with anxiety, share that with my 16 year old. Um, destigmatize mental health by having real conversations with young people about your personal experience with it. Yeah. Um, I think that is really super important because as, you know, as children of the 70s and 80s, our parents didn't share that stuff with us. Hell no. They wouldn't even say if they, my dad would obviously be in a despondent depression for weeks and be like, how's it going, dad? Fine. No, really, how are you? Quiet. And that was that was the discussion with him. Real men don't talk about feelings. And it uh, would have really helped. It would have no. really helped for him to say like, you know, son, I just feel lost right now. I don't even know why. Sometimes I really struggle with depression. You may have it too someday. And here's what helps me. Something like that. Something. Yeah, is that something you feel comfortable talking to your son about? Like, is that a com- conversation that you could imagine having? Or is it one that you have had? I've had micro versions of that, but I'm I'm happy to go all in. Listen, the stakes are really high, okay? And what this generation is facing is uh, incredibly daunting. So they need all the help they can get. And if that means me, like, really making myself vulnerable with my kid, um, yeah, sure, wow. let's do it. Wow, Dr. Alfie, like, not only was that fascinating, but you've, you've made us better dads. Wow. You know, yes, we're getting paid a little bit for this podcast, but we are getting paid in a wealth of riches of wisdom. Yes, and that is very important. Thanks, Cast Media. Not as important as, you know, money, but still very, yeah, very Almost. important for the reasons Almost. that we're doing this. Thank you, Dr. Alfie, for diving so deep with us. All right, metaphysical fans, uh, we want to do something that's fast become our favorite part of these episodes where uh, we get to respond to listener voicemails. Uh, People out there who pondered some of the life's big questions that we've been asking on this show. Um, If you want to be someone that we bring on to this program, if you want to join me and Rain uh, on the pod, it's very easy to do this. All you have to do is leave a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts telling us what your life's big question is. Take a screenshot of it, tag us on Instagram at Metaphysical Milkshake, at Metaphysical Milkshake. And uh, if we love your comment or your question, uh, we will invite you on the show and you can come and chat with us. Speaking of which, we got an incredible uh, connection with this dude, Dante, from Detroit. Um, He left us an incredible question and uh, uh, on a voicemail. And so we purchased a special voice recognition software to track him down, hired Anthony Pelicano, whatever it took. Um, And after six months, we finally located him. Here's Dante. Let's hear his thoughts. Are the kids all right? I'd say so. I think today's youth are tooled with a worldview and an access to a worldview that past generations just did did not have and it's it's allowing kids today just the ability to be more empathetic just be by being able to see and hear and hear from and hear about people all around the world just like themselves 
it's it's allowing today's youth to be able to re- relate to people that they'll never come into contact with. And it's just expanding worldview from such a young age. Uh, it's impossible to hide from because it's at your fingertips. But there's no such thing as as a, a faceless enemy anymore. I think it's really going to help as the world grows. Our youth are going to lead the way in, in don't want to get too wishy-washy, but empathy just leads to peace. If there's no faceless enemy and you can relate to who they want you to fight against, uh, it's going to be lead to peace. That's fantastic. And I love that empathy leads to peace. And this a younger generation is armed with the tools that humanity needs. We have brought him on board. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome via SpeakPipe uh, our new friend and metaphysical milkshaker, Dante. Dante. Hello. Hello, Retha. Hello, Rain. Thanks for having me. Uh, I love your thoughts. So first thing is, what are these tools that today's youth have that previous generations didn't have? Uh, well, it, it's unique to the younger generation. Obviously, uh, the internet, which um, compared to how old uh, the world is, is quite new. And especially this younger generation, even I'm of a little older generation, I grew up while it was in its early stages, but the youth have cellular phones with the internet right at their fingertips from such an early age, this access to uh, vast knowledge. You're very hopeful here and you're very positive. Where did this of attitude of yours come from? Um, and how can you be so hopeful and especially uh, putting the internet front and center as, as a tool of positivity for today's youth? Uh, suicide rates have uh, gone up by 33% in the last uh, seven years. How, how do you answer? Uh, I, I don't know. I wouldn't know too much about um, those rates. But uh, the, the internet, um, along with allowing us to connect with, with, with people around the world um, and this knowledge, it, it forces us to take things head on. There's really no, no hiding things anymore. Um, even uh, looking back at the golden ages and uh, uh, the, the, the pros about past recent generations in the 80s and 90s, looking at the positives there under this new light and all this new information that we have and that we're able to reevaluate and, and see things actually as they are, it forces us to take them head on. And I, and, and I don't know how you can't be positive with that. Um, it, it could be seen as a, as a negative because there is a lot, there are a lot of challenges, um, mm. new challenges, press, very pressing challenges. But I think it's um, we have the tools, and the younger generation has the tools to to take them on. Can uh, Dante just real quick just uh, take off the fake beard? <laughs> real beard, COVID beard. So Dante is making actually a uh, fairly salient point here, one that's made a lot, right? It goes back to something that Adam Grant told us like way back in... Salient means it's got salt in it? Yeah, that's right. Something very salty. 
Um, mm-hmm. Okay. And Adam Grant's point when we were talking about how do you change someone's mind was, well, facts don't change people's minds. Relationships um, change people's minds. So Dante's making this argument that I've heard a million times that I've made a million times, which is that the more you know people of another race or religion or ethnicity or political view or whatever. And I mean, know them, like know them as people, not like know their views or whatever. Um, The less likely you are to villainize or demonize um, those people. And it sort of expands your region. I a hundred percent believe that this is true. I've seen it in my own life. I a hundred percent believe it's true. The the issue, and I think this is what Rain was getting at, Dante, is that that tends to butt up against this kind of impulse that we have towards tribalism, right? Like I remember, see, you grew up with the internet. Rain and I remember when there wasn't an internet and then there was an internet and people were like, oh my God, this thing is going to change the world. Like people are going to have access to knowledge and information from all around the world. Like the whole world is going to be open to everyone. And instead, all it did was just shrink the world down even smaller so that you never, ever had to leave your bubble if you didn't want to. So I hear you. I mean, I I personally think that the long arc of history, as it is called, is is moving us towards your view that kids are going to be all right, that you know, that there are more people who are using these new tools to expand their perspective than there are those who are, you know, contracting. I agree with you. Uh, I just think that maybe it's going to be a little bit harder and take a little bit longer. <laughs> right. Um, you mentioned uh, uh, it. You, you find this, it, you re- can relate to people when you can really know them. Mm-hmm. And I wonder how how do you really know someone? Um, I think um, a very new tool, uh, TikTok, it, uh, uh, something like that, allows you to see these little moments in, in people's lives. Which, uh, is that how you, uh, perhaps that's how you get to know someone, you see the smaller moments. <laughs> for, <laughs> for those of you who are only listening, right now Rain is doing a TikTok dance. And, and I, you know what, you know what, Rain? I feel like I really know you. I'm embarrassed you by go. you. Totally embarrassed by you, but I, but I feel like I know you in a way. What this conversation has done for me is I need to, uh, I need to reassess my take on the internet, because something that you said, Dante, is really right on, which is like, the cat's out of the bag. We can never go back. We can never go back to 1996. And one of the things that the internet has done is it has created more of a world community. We see people on social media and on Reddit, on message boards, they're communicating with people from Pakistan and Iceland and Mongolia. You know, it's not just people from your neighborhood. So we are kind of seeing these world communities. K-pop fans have done incredible political activism and they're not just Koreans. K-pop fans are all over the world. I know Reza's a huge K-pop fan. So huge. Um, I'm going to reassess this. I'm going to try and take in your view there, Dante, that the kids are all right due to the incredible unifying positive force of the internet. I'm going to try and sit with that. Dante, you're opening my mind. That is a difficult thing to do. Thank you so much for coming on board Metaphysical Milkshake. Give it up, everyone, for Dante. 
Thanks, Dante. Thanks so much. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening. You want more of Life's Big Questions? Find us on social at Reza Aslan and at Rain Wilson and at Metaphysical Milkshake. And on Twitter, we're at Meta Milk Podcast. Let us know your life's big questions. We just might explore them on a future episode. And please, please, please remember to follow, rate, and review Metaphysical Milkshake on Apple Podcasts or wherever else you listen to podcasts. That's actually very important, listeners, because that helps with the algorithms that control everything. You can also subscribe to the Metaphysical Milkshake YouTube channel, and you can watch us have these conversations if that's what turns you on. All right, thanks, everyone. See you next week. Metaphysical Milkshake is executive produced by Rain Wilson, Reza Aslan, and Colin Thompson. It's produced by Safa Samizadeh Yazd, Harris Lane, Mick DeMaria, Hashem Self, and DJ Lubel. Cast Media is the production and distribution partner. It is edited by Tyler Newbold and audio mixed by Justin Kyle. Original music is composed by Jeff Tang. So I was a kid who loved surfing. My favorite band in the world is U2. I'm a black girl, grew up in the 80s. I don't know black people doing surfing back then. Or listening to U2, <laughs> frankly. Oh my God, Bono and the guys. Oh my God, I just, I just, I'm obsessed with them. So anyway. We're going to make you an honorary white dude. <laughs> there you go. <laughs>